0: Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse one. It said, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless. Other translations say vanity, vanity, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The most accomplished man on the face of the earth, all the things that he was able to do And the one thing that he says to start his final book, the final chapter of his life as he's growing old, that everything is meaningless. It goes on to say, what do people gain, verse 3, from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round around it goes, ever returning on its course. Blah, 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 blah. Right, this is the word of God. I'm going to honor the word of God. And that is God's word. But Solomon goes on and on. He says, you know what? We're here. But in 100 years, guess what? Nobody's going to remember any of us. You know, there'll be a whole new, hopefully this church is still here, but there'll be a whole new generation of people in this church, right? Things come, things go. The earth is gonna continue to rotate. And guess what? We will come, we will go. It's all meaningless. So bow your heads let's pray. Let's see what God has to say about this. Father, we thank you for your help. We ask you for help. We ask you for understanding. Teach us, Lord, how to have meaning in life. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Everything is meaningless. The man that built the temple of God, the man who had kings coming from all over the world, that's his contribution to the earth. Everything is meaningless. So if I put myself in this situation, Solomon on his deathbed, or as he's nearing the end of his life, reflecting on all that he was able to accomplish, the last thing, that, or the way he starts his final book is that everything is meaningless. Let's look and see some of Solomon's accomplishments in Ecclesiastes chapter two. I'm gonna start reading in verse one. It says, I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. So Solomon is starting out saying, hey, I am researching life. I want to see what is good for people to do with the few days of their life. Laughter is meaningless. This is meaningless. That's meaningless. But I'm a researcher. God has given me such wisdom that I want to be able to tell you how to have a successful and meaningful life. We'll pick it up again in verse 4. He says, I undertook, he he begins to recite all the things that he was able to accomplish. He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves and flourishing trees. I brought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned, owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself. And the treasure of kings and provinces, I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. Not my heart, because my wife is right here on the front row. That's my only delight right there. Amen. Verse 9 says, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Often we hear that Solomon is writing this in the later years of his life. He's senile, he's out of his mind. But no, his wisdom stayed with him. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had told to achieve, everything Was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. If we continue to read in verse 17, he goes on to say that I hated my life, right? You think about the epitome of success and accomplishment, and he hated his life. We would love for a tenth, a a one hundredth, or a thousandth of what Solomon had, right? Even now, today, we would love to have those things, but he said he hated his life all the things that we set out to do, all the the accomplishments that we set out to make, all the goals and all the dreams, all the visions, everything that we write down, everything that we plan to do with our lives, with our precious time that we're given, we could end up on our deathbed having accomplished everything that we wanted to accomplish and still hate our lives and still say that everything is meaningless. I don't want to leave my life and I don't want to live my life in that way. I want to make sure that when I... In this day, when I end my race, I can look back and Lord can say to me, my good and faithful servant, well done, and I can be pleased with what I accomplished. I know that I'm not going to do it perfectly, but at the same time, even though I look up to Solomon, you know, he's my first child. I was going to name my first child Solomon if he was a boy. Um, I really honor and respect what he was able to do. But at the same time, at the end of his life, he said that everything I was able to accomplish was meaningless. As we continue to read in this this book, we see some of the things Solomon accomplished. We see some of his gripes and some of his complaints, but he began to change his tune starting in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. We'll read there as we continue to reflect on meaning in life. First two chapters, very depressing, but now he begins to share his wisdom throughout the rest of this text. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heaven. So we'll stop there real quick. If we read this out of other translations, it often uh, switches the word time and season. So it uses those words interchangeably. But when we read the Bible, sometimes if we're reading the Bible all the way through, we have some reading plan that we're following, we might just read a scripture like this and just continue on without stopping and reflecting. But if we really look at this scripture, and we read in different translations, like the Net Bible says, that there's an appropriate time for everything, and an appoint- or there's an appointed time for everything, and an appropriate time for all activity under heaven. And so when we think about this, one of the things that Solomon now is telling us that, you know, yes, the way I live my life, man, I figured it out, everything is meaningless, but here, let me give you some more Wisdom. He says, there's an appropriate or set time for every activity that we should or could be doing in the earth. Now, it's going to be up to us to find the time for that activity. What's the right time for me to be doing all the things that God has called me to do? He says, for everything, there's a time and a season for every activity under heaven. So I have to understand both the appropriate and the right times in my life, but then I also have to understand the season that I'm in. Everyone, you know, we should all, you know, we often hear, even when I was coming up through college, we used to go to a campus ministry and everybody stressed, hey, you need to know your purpose. What's your purpose in life? Before you get married, learn and find out your purpose. And yes, we all need to be very purpose-driven in life. But at the same time, you think about purpose and how big and long and and detailed uh, or, or extensive a man's purpose, a person's purpose might be for, say, 80 or 100 years of life. There's so many things that you'll do within those 80 or 100 years that may or may not reflect whatever you consider your purpose is, but for everything you do, there will be a season that's the right time to be doing that thing. You know, I could be called to be the president of the United States. My wife, one of her aspirations is to become president of a university, right? So if she's president of of the uh, University of Florida, she won't be president forever. I can't wait for that to happen, though. I'm looking forward to it. But she won't be president forever. So even if she feels like that's the purpose for her life, you know, there's going to be seasons where she has time to prepare for that ultimate purpose or that ultimate goal. But then not only that, once, you know, even if she's president for, say, 20 years, once that time is over, now what? Right? Because then there there comes another season where I have to then think about other things to do and other purposes and plans that God has called me to. So the number one thing we're getting out of this scripture is that God has called us for a purpose, number one, but he's also called us to be very intentional about how we use our time and to recognize the time and the season that we're currently in. And for each of us, depending on your stage in life, it could be different. You know, I have two kids. Um, You know, my season, no matter what, you know, is to be a father, right? And to be a husband and to be a pastor and to work here at Greenhouse, You know, my season prior to coming here, though, was to be an academic. You know, I was a computer science faculty at the University of Florida. Before that, I was at, you know, Mississippi State University. But I was in a season where my calling or my time was to be in academia versus being in the church, and I operated as such. And so we have to recognize that there is a time for everything. I have to be intentional with my time, but not only that, I have to know what season I'm in because knowing what season I'm in is going to help to direct every individual, every single day of my life going forward. Let's continue to read. Ecclesiastes 3, he goes on to say, there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now you could go on and on right? It's a time to jump and a time to stop jumping, a time to sit and a time to stand. It's a time to walk, a time to run. You know, we could keep going on and on and on. There's times for different things that we have to do in life, but the key here is that I have to be intentional with my time. If Solomon is so specific about all those little things, then I have to think about every single day that I live my life, because if I want my life to be meaningful, Of course, we know that Solomon says everything is meaningless. You know we're not going to stop there but because the goal is to figure out, you know, what can we be doing even right now to make sure that when it comes to our end, that everything that we do is meaningful in life. And so I have to have meaningful days in order to have a meaningful life, right? So every single day I have to walk in the will of God. What is it time for me to do today? Do I need to sit down and just sit in your presence today, or do I need to go out and work and do and, and, and operate and whatever else it is? But I have to hear from God every single day about what he has called me to do. And so when we say make room, what I'm trying to get at here in some of these scriptures is that in order for us to make room for God, we have to make time for him. We have to make time for him. I have to look at my schedule, and if I look at your schedule, if we opened up our calendars and Uh, just examined our calendars for this past month, this past week, what will be in our calendar, right? For many of us, depending on our jobs, we might have an eight to five or nine to five type of job and we have a whole block, you know, nine to five Monday through Friday where we're at work, right, and that's understandable. Um, for others of us, maybe you know, depending on your season you're in and the type of work that you're currently doing, for example, if you're a student at the University of Florida, maybe you have smaller time blocks for time for going for, to, to classes, time for study, maybe time to be with friends, time to hang out, time to go to the gym. But then how often are we scheduling time with the Lord? How often are we scheduling our time to spend with God, to read our Bibles, to pray, to do all the spiritual disciplines and the practices of Jesus that we really need to be doing to stay connected with him so that he can always be speaking to us about the season that we're in and the things that we should be doing. So there's a time for everything under heaven. Verse 11 in Ecclesiastes, verse three says, he has made everything, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything beautiful in his time, but he's also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He's made everything beautiful in its time. If God makes it beautiful, if God makes it beautiful, then we know that it's meaningful, right? So my big idea again is in order to make room, we have to make time. So when we think about this word time, you know, we all know that time is a a factor in life, uh, that there's a limited time. We have seconds, we have minutes, we have hours, we have days, we have weeks, we have months, we have years, we have decades, we have centuries, there's various units of time. Um, But we see, we can also see that time, even though we know we have limited time, that time is also A gift. Time is also a resource that we can use to accomplish God's will on this earth. And what do I mean by that? Well, you know, number one, we know that we exist in the earth. When God created the earth, he created the days and the nights. He said the evening and the morning are the first day. He gave us days. He gave us seasons. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, it says, while the earth remains, seed, time, and harvest, Cold and heat, day and night, winter and summer shall not cease. So we know that we have to live in time. That, you know, while the earth remains, the earth is still here. Seed, time, and harvest, cold and heat, day and night, winter and summer, all these things will not cease. We live and exist in time. And so we have to use this knowledge to our advantage. And so when we think about time, one of the things we often dwell on and we shouldn't, we dwell on past time right we dwell on what was behind us or what happened yesterday or yesteryear sometimes it's in the form of thinking about all of our sins and past mistakes and we dwell on all the things that we've done wrong in life and sometimes our past hinders our future right because we're so busy thinking about what happened in the past well you know one of the things that you know we recognize is that of course if it's in the past There's nothing I can do about it. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it. But one thing that God says is that, he says is that my mercies are new every single day. My mercies are new. So even if I messed up yesterday, you know, and I don't mess up often, right? I hardly ever mess up as a husband, as a father. Like I'm, I'm almost, especially when I consider eternity, you think about how long eternity is and how many times I've messed up, I'm probably 99.9999999% successful, right? But if I think about this short time that I exist on the earth, sometimes I do mess up. And, you know, if I messed up yesterday, you know, it's a, it's a sad thing. You know, maybe my wife and I, we maybe had an argument or, 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 or something like that. But no matter what, I have a brand new set of mercies today because that's what God promises us. And so for one way that I use time is recognizing that anything that happened in the past is the past. There are consequences to our actions, but at the same time, I cannot do anything to go back and change that. What does Paul say? Paul says in Philippians chapter three, verse 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus, right? So forgetting everything that was behind and pressing forward to the present and then the ultimate future. So one thing we learned that we can do with time is number one, we can forget the past, right? Forget the past, The other thing we can see time, in the the present, time is a gift. There is a book called The Present, you know. I thought about bringing a present up here as as an analogy or as an illustration of time, right? Because we're all given time as a gift. The fact that we're all here, we're sitting in church, means that we have time on this earth, right? And we don't know necessarily how long that time is going to be, but I know that I have this present now as a gift. One illustration of this fact is thinking about Daniel, Daniel, one of the prophets of old, him and the um, uh, other wise men in Babylon, they were asked by King Nebuchadnezzar to uh, interpret a dream. So the king has a dream. He's very upset about this dream. It causes him a lot of uh, consternation and just uh, uproar when he thinks about this dream. And so he asks all the wise men of Babylon, he says, number one, I want you to tell me the dream, and then number two, interpret the dream. And of course, the wise men said, hey, we can't do this. What you're asking is impossible for us, king. Why don't you tell us the dream, describe it to us, and we will tell you the interpretation. Well, of course, they couldn't. He said, no, if I do that, you're just going to make something up. So I'm not going to tell you the dream. I know you're right if you can tell me the dream. And then number two, provide the interpretation. Well, Daniel, he said, you know what? I'm about to die, right? Because the king's demand or the king's decree was immediate. It was set. And every wise man in Babylon was about to be killed because they could not tell the king the dream and its interpretation. But instead of Daniel going around to his friends and saying, you know what, it's about to be it for me, you know, dapping them up and saying goodbye, instead of you know even asking the king for mercy and asking the king to forgive him and hey, can you spare me? What did Daniel ask for? He asked for time. He said, give me time. Because if I have time where I can spend before the Lord, I can give you this interpretation. I can give you an answer to what you're looking for because all I need is time in the present where I can seek the Lord. And if I can seek the Lord, I know that I can accomplish anything. If I can spend time with Him, there's nothing that will be withheld from me if I ask in the name of Jesus and today, or if I ask sincerely and He knows this is a need that I have. And so our present time is a gift. Ephesians chapter 5 says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. How do we walk wisely? By making the best use of our time, by redeeming the time. But there's no way that I'm going to know how to make the best use of my time unless I know the season that I'm in and unless I'm connected with the living God on a daily basis, right? I have to spend time with God in order to make the best use of my time. And if I don't, Again, we can show that quote one more time. Everything is meaningless. No matter what I accomplish, no matter what I uh, uh, ascribe to do, and no matter what goals I actually check off my list, everything is meaningless. What am I doing with my time? That's what we're learning right now from Solomon that it's not about things, it's not about pleasure, it's not about success, it's not about goals, it's really about how are we using our time and are we using our time in a way that God uh, deems um, sufficient. The other thing that's uh, in Ecclesiastes three that he begins to tell us about is this idea of seasons. Everybody say seasons. Seasons, so, right there's time, there's an appropriate time for everything, but there's also a season for every activity uh, in the earth. We know that a season is a certain period of time. A season could be three months, you know, or a season could be, a, you know, an actual a season of our, um, what do we call it? Spring, summer, and fall, what are those called? We, uh, seasons, uh, semesters, whatever. Seasons, right? We all know that they're Seasons. Seasons are periods of time, right? But at the same time, when we think about our lives, we're all in different seasons of life. I can look and I see so many different people of so many different ages, some people with their children, you know, with their spouses, some college students that are hanging out, you know, sitting together. So there's a season of singleness, right? And when I'm single, maybe there's certain things that I can do that I can't do, of course, when I'm married. There's a season of of being married without kids. You know, there's certain things that you can do being married without kids that you could do that you can't do when you have kids, for example, or at least are more restricted. So one thing that seasons do for us, they tell us the current limitations that exist on our lives, right? Because we're all limited. We have unlimited potential because we are created in the image and likeness of God, right? And as God's image bearers, we can do many of the things that God did while he was on the earth in the form of Jesus, right? We can do all those same things. He says, in greater works, uh, Will you do because I go to my father. But there's also limitations that we have to recognize. So maybe I know my purpose, but again, I know, must also know the season that I'm in. We all want to reach our full potential. We want to live by faith. We want to risk it all. We want to read some number of books every year. We want to travel to certain countries. We want to you know, maybe see the Eiffel Tower and scratch that off of our bucket list. Now, there's so many things that we want to do, but we have to recognize that we can't do it all. I can't do it all. I can't do everything. I have to figure out what God has called me to do, right? Again, in this season of my life. So we are limited by time, and this is the primary limitation that we have on our lives, is time. But we find God's will within this limitation. This is when God really speaks to us, when we go before his throne and ask him, you know, with a sincere heart, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me to do with my time? What's going to give me the most excitement and the most fulfillment and the most pleasure each and every day of my life? We all should know that. You know, even if it's different five years from now, I should know what that means right now. Time is our biggest limitation. And so if, if I look at my... My guy Solomon, you know, again, love Solomon, love to read the Proverbs, love all that he represented in terms of just his uh, fulfilling all his, you know, dreams and goals and all that he was able to accomplish, peace on every side, kings from everywhere coming to hear, from his, hear his wisdom. But the question I have to ask myself when I look up to Solomon is that does Solomon fulfill all of God's potential for his life, right? He did so much. He accomplished so much. We, we looked at his resume. He built the temple of God that David, his father, whom we all know, honor and respect, a man after God's own heart, could not and was not allowed to do. Solomon did. Solomon had agreements with, with kings so that there were no wars in his day, You know, you're a king with such wisdom that instead of me coming to fight with you, I'm bringing you tribute and I'm asking you about my kingdom. Hey, Solomon, can you give me some advice? The queen of Sheba was so amazed at his excellence and how he even set his servants at the table that she almost fainted. Solomon was excellent in everything that he did. But the question is, did he fulfill the potential of God on his life? When we think about David, one of the final conversations that David had with Solomon, the three things that I picked up on throughout just reading about Solomon. One, David asked him, he asked him some smaller things like, hey, go and kill this person because they disrespected me. You know, he gave him some of those commands. But basically he said, hey, you need to make sure that you keep the commandments and the covenant of your God. Keep the commandments and the covenant of, of, of our God. But then the other thing, of course, he charged them with is, of course, building the temple. He was able to do that. He accomplished that. But then the third thing that he was responsible for was making sure that as God commanded and he's decreed, he told David and then he told Solomon that as long as you obey my commands, there's never gonna be anyone that won't, uh, one of your offspring that won't sit upon the throne of Israel, right? But then now let's look at Solomon's offspring. Rehoboam, his son and successor. As soon as Solomon died, he immediately did away with all of his counsel all of his counselors. He had some older counselors that were giving him wisdom and giving him guidance about, hey, what should he do about this and that? He said, nope, I'm gonna listen to the younger guys. He increased taxes. He he basically uh, put a heavier yoke and burden on them in terms of the amount of work that they had to do. He was responsible for basically dividing the kingdom of Israel You know, he had issues with Solomon's generals and his guards, etc. And Jeroboam was one that, you know, basically split the kingdom, helped that split the kingdom and uh, set up calves in the northern kingdom. And then they began to worship calves, the thing that uh, God was about to destroy the entire children of Israel for in the time of Moses. And so one absolute failure of Solomon that I'm sure he had to reflect back on is that even though I was able to accomplish all these things, I had a son that I did not raise and train in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So even with all these accomplishments, he didn't recognize that as a father, as a lineage carrier, as a, as a, as a carrier of the authority and the throne of Israel, I need to raise my kids in such a way that they're going to honor and respect the word and the, and the, and the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They're gonna respect God. So that's one way that he failed. Another way is, uh, we'll read this in 1 Kings chapter 11. He said earlier that there's no pleasure that I withheld. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing that my eyes, I laid my eyes on that I did not receive, that I did not go out and get. You know, I built, built uh, vineyards and all these wonderful things and I, you know, did all these things. Every pleasure, every good thing of his day, Solomon was able to have. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 3, it says that he had 700 wives who were princesses. 700 princesses. 700 wives. Stop there. And 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. So all these foreign wives turned away Solomon's heart from the Lord. Verse 4 says, for when Solomon was old, uh, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord God as David, his father, had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Shermas, the abomination of Moab, and for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. That's what success does to us it causes us to forget what God has done and through whom the success came. God gave Solomon wisdom. God gave Solomon all the things that he did not ask for. But Solomon allowed these foreign idols, these foreign wives, these foreign ideals to impact his life, right? And so what we do today, some of the same things happen. You know, we find some level of success Again, this is not necessarily monetary success, but this is just enough success to where we're satisfied. We get satisfied and we begin to turn away or walk away from God. Even if we don't overtly walk away from God, we don't follow God the same way when we were struggling and when things were bad and when we had to pray just to you know, have food on the table and pay bills and all those kinds of things because this level of success tends to turn us away from God. And so today, our foreign wives are the world. Our foreign wives are social media. Our foreign wives are the, are the bubbles that we put ourselves in to where we begin to elevate the things of conservative culture, you know, Republicans, or we elevate the things of liberal culture, you know, Democrats. We begin to put things, the ideology and the, and the, and the, and the principles of this world, even above you know, what the Word of God says. I bet you Solomon had a, had a uh, wife that said, you know, in my culture, men dress up like women. So here's Solomon, put this dress on, and let's walk around our castle because now you can celebrate my culture because in my culture, men dress up like women, and Solomon honored all these other abominations and all these other things that his wives did, and I would imagine that's one of the abominations that Solomon uh, committed. And also, there's instances in the Bible where you hear about children being sacrificed, right? When God says something is an abomination, it is an abomination, right? So who knows to the extent of the things that Solomon allowed to happen under his reign in terms of even child sacrifices. But now, even today, we think that it's okay to give a young child hormone therapy so that they can change their gender, right? Right? That's something that we're okay with in today's, you know, day, even sometimes as Christians, because why? These ideologies, these foreign ideals, these foreign wives begin to speak to us about what's okay and what's not okay, right? And so we have to make sure that we, just like, you know, not unlike Solomon, that we keep the word of God above all other things in our lives. Because just like Solomon, again, amen, amen, those foreign wives, he didn't have social media. He didn't have this phone. Like, I don't go anywhere without my phone. Anywhere. If, if, if I, anywhere. So in some ways, this is my wife at some level. I probably touch my phone more than I touch Lakeisha. <laughs> and probably every man can say that. Because this phone is always with me. But this is like one of those foreign wives that any information in the world, now I have access to. Any any commentary on anything, I get to read, and I get to study, and that begins to influence my mind and my thinking on every single situation in life. And I can tell you, even if I ask, if we had some litmus test of some some particular ideology, there's gonna be some people on the left, there's gonna be some people on the right, there's gonna be some extremes, and we get those extremes from these devices, from the social media that we look at every single day. These foreign wives, the same situation, that Solomon experienced, we get to experience here. And so my point here is that when we allow our success and achievement to turn our focus, there might be a time where we get to say everything is meaningless just like Solomon, right? That, That even our best efforts at accomplishing goals and vision and doing the things that we maybe think God has called us to do, those best efforts are even wasted. We're going to put up a word cloud uh, real quickly uh, that represents success on the screen. So take a look here. Now, all these things on this screen, I would love to say I have aspired to and I would love to look at it and say, yes, I have success, I have accomplishment, I have wealth, you know, there's businesses that I've started, there's achievements that I have, I'm optimistic, I'm goal-oriented, uh, I'm achievement-oriented, I've innovated, I'm prosperous, I advance, I'm excellent in everything that I do. All these things are really extraordinarily good things. It's good for us to master certain skills, Right, when i was an academic my goal was to be an expert in software engineering cybersecurity things like that i was trying to master the particular areas the sliver of things that i wanted to do research on in my field and i wanted to become a master but even as i said before you could be excellent at one area for a season in your life like i think about all these athletes you know you have athletes that have been the world class athletes going to the nfl or the nba but at some point even though they mastered their profession and mastered their sports, at some point, that's going to end. And so if we put the other cloud up there, the goal is to say that what we want, we can have everything on the first slide, but it has to come through the heart, attitude, and focus of everything that's here. And this represents the person of Jesus. He was humble. He was a shepherd. He's our redeemer. You know, it talks about being eternal and how God placed eternity in our hearts. He was loved. He is loved, you know, all those things. So, thinking about Solomon, I think he finally turned it around. You know, in Ecclesiastes, if we read through the entire book, there's lots of wisdom, lots of proverbs, lots of questions that he begins to ask. And answer, But at the very end, as he was about to write his very last statement in this book before he passed on, I think he finally got it. In Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12, verse 13, he goes on to say, last two, 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 two verses in this chapter or in this book, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of mankind. 1 Corinthians 5.10 is a New Testament verse basically saying the same thing. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so my goal here is to really say every single day, in order for my life to be meaningful, in order for my time to be meaningful, I have to be spending time with God. We have an opportunity coming uh, in the next few days. Uh, We have a 10-day fast right? And fasting is not easy. You know, fasting is tough. We deny ourselves food. If you followed any, you know, health care, you know, blog or posting or articles, if you're in the health field in any way, you know, in terms of uh, uh, healthy activities, one of the particular activities you may have heard of is intermittent fasting, right? How many people have heard of intermittent fasting, right? Many of us. And this is something people do just to basically, you know, lose weight, to teach your body to, instead of burning sugar for calories, to begin to burn fat, you know, for energy. And so even if we studied intermittent fasting, that that could be something we do just to get healthy. But what we're asking you right now is to really consider not just fasting intermittently to be healthy, but fasting to be able to create time to make space for us to seek the Lord. Because as we decide not to eat food, maybe skip breakfast, maybe skip lunch, and again, there's different ways that you can do or choose to do fasting over the next 10 days. The general concept is that if I don't eat, if I'm not thinking about preparing food, if I'm not thinking about eating food, if I'm not taking the time to eat, then I have time to do something else. And so even if for the next 10 days you skip breakfast every day, if you're normally a breakfast eater, and you say that every single day I'm going to make sure that God speaks to me as we start this year about what this season in life for me is about, what potential uh, is held within these 365 days that I can accomplish and I can actually go after. Right? Maybe you skip breakfast and lunch and not eat until 5 p.m. or later every day. Maybe you fast the entire 10 days and drink milkshakes or water or something like that. But the general idea is that I am going to take, I'm going to commit my heart, taking time to not eat as my doctor prescribes. Of course, if you have health issues, make sure you check with your doctor. But I'm going to take time to not eat so that I can begin to seek the Lord. And the big thing is, is that when I get to that place, again, where I'm on my deathbed or my last days. I don't want to be like Solomon. I don't want to say everything is meaningless. I want to say every day was packed full of meaning because every day I sat and heard from God about what this day holds.